Welcome to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. Imagine being able to earn passive income, build long-term wealth, while gaining total freedom from your business or job. That's what lifestyle investing is all about. I'm your host, Justin Donald, and in less than two years, my investments drove enough passive income for both my wife and me to quit our jobs. And now, I want to show you how to do the same. I want to teach you how to create wealth without creating a job. You'll learn the exact same investment strategies I use to multiply my net worth to over eight figures all before the age of 40. If you want to learn all about low-risk cash flow investing, achieve financial freedom, and live the life you truly desire, this podcast is going to show you exactly how to do it. Today, I'm talking with Tucker Max. By now, you've probably heard his name, but just in case, Tucker became a four-time New York Times best-selling author who sold over 4.5 million books worldwide. He went on to leverage his success as an author and co-founded Scribe Media, a company that helps you write, publish, and market your book. He's helped people like David Goggins, Tiffany Haddish, Dan Sullivan, and countless others get their books off the ground. In today's episode, you'll learn the story of how he built Scribe into a $21 million company before exiting in 2021, including the hard lessons he learned when it came to structuring a deal with favorable terms. You'll learn why money is not the only metric to measure success. And lastly, the value of investing in hard, productive assets and how Tucker turned a 45-acre ranch into a self-sufficient homestead. One more thing before we get to today's interview. I've got something special for Lifestyle Investor Podcast listeners. I'm sharing a PDF that highlights the 10 commandments of a lifestyle investor. In case you're unfamiliar with the 10 commandments, it's the complete set of rules that I created and follow when it comes to evaluating every single investment that I make. Things like reducing risk, finding invisible deals, creating immediate cash flow, income amplifiers, and a lot more. This one-pager is super easy to digest and acts as a great printout for anyone who wants to be reminded of what they should be considering when making investment decisions. To get access to this gift, visit lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash 152. Thanks for listening, and without further delay, my conversation with Tucker Max. What's up, Tucker? Glad to have you on the show. What's going on, Justin? Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is fun. So we've talked about this for a little while. We run in a a handful of similar circles with Front Row Dads and with uh, Dripping Springs, the community out there. And for those that are unaware, there's this incredible community just out west of Austin with some amazing people, a lot of friends that are learning how to ranch and learning how to grow gardens and have cattle and do all this cool stuff that you have embarked on in this new season of life. And so I'm excited to talk about that. I'm excited to talk about uh, your entrepreneurial life. But uh, more than anything, it's just good to have you on the show. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. So I'm curious, what is life like for you right now? This is a different season, I feel like, than you've ever experienced since I've known you. Since ever. Maybe since I when I was growing up, my grandmother had a beef cattle ranch in Kentucky, like a big one, like 500 head. And so like I, I didn't live on it, but I was out there a lot. And so I think she sold it when I was 12. And so right about 40 or 35 years, (laughs) it took me to come back. 
And I have, you know, way less livestock than her and way less land. I sold my company and we've been out here almost two years now. Dude, my life right now, because my wife's scaling her company. And so like, and I sold mine, I haven't really started my next thing. And so my time is fam, like kids, like I'm basically, I take the kids to school, I pick them up. I'm kind of uh, mainly responsible for them. And then um, the ranch, dude, the homes, it's really more of a homestead because we only have like two cows and like 35 or so, 40 sheep and like 40 chickens. And so like, and we garden, like you said, and, and growing all that stuff. And so like my job is that, dude, like today before the podcast, I put in a, a work pen for the sheep, you know, like a, you get like a head with a head gate so you can, you know, whatever, do what you have, foot trim or whatever you need to do. And then I, uh, I put up, uh, I, I cut some wood, some trees were like went down the other day and I, uh, did some fence post stuff. Like it was like, it was like basically manual labor all day, <laughs> all day. I know. Right. And it's Times so funny. Times have changed. Dude. I like, if this was my job, I would put a bullet in my brain. I would hate <laughs> Like if it was like, if I was getting paid for this, nothing against it, just me personally, if I had to wake up every day and go do manual labor, I would hate it. But I actually like it. Because it's like, this is my ranch or my homestead, my family's homestead. And like, my kids love this place and everything we do that makes it better. It's like, it's yours, right? And not like, you know, your company is yours or whatever, but this isn't mine in an abstract sense. Like this is, those trees are more tangible. Yeah. And those sheep are mine. And like what it looks like and what the soil is and how much water we have and what the grass is like, this is all like, there's no HOA that handles this. Yep. <laughs> like There's nobody <laughs> else either. So it's like, I'm either going to have a really crappy homestead or I'm going to have a really nice homestead. And it's basically completely on me. Tucker is the HOA, right? I don't do good. The last little, I lived, you know, Barton Creek, right? in just some big McMansion and there was an HOA. And I can't tell you how many times I get the HOA letters and I would just throw them away. And they'd come, hey, you know, they were very passive aggressive. It's like, get the fuck out of here. Like, it didn't work. I was not, I don't deal well with busybodies telling me what to do. It's not good. Yeah, I, I don't feel like you do well with anyone <laughs> no. letting you know what they think you should do. No. Well, telling me what you think I should do, fine. Telling me what I have to do. Right. That's different. Now, how many acres do you have? Because you you bought a massive property. Yeah, I mean it's big, it's big for out here. It's not that much for te- we're in Texas, right? So I, I think it's forty five acres, forty five and a half, something like that. It's not really that much for Texas, but it's you know it's it's for one man working without grown kids. Yeah, you got young kids. Yeah, I, my kid like nine is the oldest, right? And he's not a big nine year old. He's just like a normal little nine year old. And so like uh, you know we just did a hundred meat chickens. So man, like dragging those uh, chicken tractors across the pasture, and then bro, I processed all of them on the ranch wow. myself. You know, like like my fam, my kids and my wife help with like ten of them because they wanted to do it and have the experience. And they're like, okay, dad, have you fun. Get ninety, <laughs> have fun, yeah. right? Go do the rest. <laughs> Dude, that was rough. It was a lot of work. You've processed uh, some cattle as well, haven't you? 
Yes, we did one cow on the ranch, but that was I hired a mobile butcher because dude, dude, processing a, like a cow is like a twelve hundred pound animal. That is an industrial process. You don't do that like you know, just sharpen your little knife and hoist it. Like that's that's huge. What I do do myself though here is uh, I do all of our sheep myself. Like I do them. And then I also hunt, it's Texas, right? So like, and I'm on a hunting lease out in Lano, which is about an hour from here, a big one. And or my buddy is, and he invites me all the time. We go out all the time. And uh, like, I think we got 24 deer last year. And so like, I've actually gotten to be like, pretty good at processing small deer and sheep are considered small game, like 100 to 150 pounds. That's, you know, whereas a cow's 1,200 pounds. It's a whole different thing. Different animal, different world. So let's talk about life before this, because you, in your earlier years, were an author. You wrote some books and then, uh, and, and some bestsellers, some huge books. And you eventually transitioned into building a company called Book in a Box, uh, I believe, is uh, that then transformed into Scribe, right? And so I'd love to hear some of that earlier story. I mean, so let's see. I started writing when I was about 27. And like, honestly, I just took the emails I sent my friends about the dumb, stupid, drunken things I would do and uh, put them on the internet and they blew up. And I just kind of carried that ball and ran with it. And um, it ended up doing pretty well. The iconic book that I wrote that everyone knows about or most people know about is called I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell. That spent like five or six years on the New York Times bestseller list and sold millions of copies. And then the follow-ups did pretty well. And then like, you know, eventually I got, you get tired of being a dumb drunk guy in your 20s, right? Even Like for me, it carried into my 30s because it was my job. But then eventually I'm just like, Ugh, enough of this. And so I kind of retired from writing about that just because I wasn't doing it anymore and I didn't want to. When you write a book, you you know, you've written a book. The, the question you get all the time, how did you do it? Because everyone wants to write their own books. So they, then they ask if they haven't, they ask you how you did it. And so I just had tons of people asking me how and then started helping people do it. And then it turned into Scribe. And then that company did 2000 plus books. We did David Goggins and Dan Sullivan and Tiffany Haddish and a bunch of other huge people. I sold out um, in 2021 20, uh, and left and then came out here. And like now my day is like, uh, you know, cleaning up chicken shit. <laughs> Dude, like I actually did that today too. I had to go get the eggs and, you know, we had 15 eggs and there's got chicken poop all over them. And it's like, I got to wash the eggs now, you know? It's a big difference. But, you know, the reality is in your business, you got to clean up some chicken poop as well, you know? And, but only metaphorical, It shows up bro. in different ways. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's actually the that's funny right. thing. Is it harder to deal with real chicken crap or, yes. or, or metaphorical? I was. I think yeah. metaphorical is actually harder. It smells better. Like real chicken poop, it definitely smells worse. But like chickens are so easy to deal with and they're so predictable. And then yeah, poop's annoying, but then you just wash it off and you're done with it. <laughs> It's like chickens don't sue you. Chickens don't file complaints. They don't uh, write terrible things on Glassdoor or whatever. Like they just uh, poop on their eggs and then that's it. So <laughs> let's talk about some of the highs and lows of, of really starting Scribe and, and having this company scale into the monstrosity that it became because, you know, it started with just one book. And I think you, I believe, enjoyed writing. Right. For at least that season, like that was like enjoyable, therapeutic. 
I liked yeah. writing my own stuff. Uh, I, I didn't really like doing writing stuff for other people, which it was a blessing because what it did is it forced us very early on. It would have been easy for me to to start like kind of a ghostwriting boutique firm that was like mainly me and a couple of other people, which maybe in certain ways would have been better. Because like, like, so Scribe basically helped people write and publish and market their books, right? So it's a high end, uh, you know, it's pretty expensive. It's anywhere from right now, they charge like uh 45 to 150 grand or something so so uh it's a, a pretty expensive it's a high touch high-end service company right and so like in a an agency and so it's not great margins you know it's 15 to 25 ish percents right depending on various factors and so like the question for an agency like that is do you keep it small and highly profitable and boutique or do you scale it right because you can't really be in that middle. Like if you're in the five to 10 or the 10 million range for a company like Scribe, you get crushed because that's where you're, you're below, let's call it below, like in the, in the four to 8 million range for sure. You're not big enough that you need much process. You, you can have very low overhead, relatively low process. You can run that company with 20 or less people. Um, not including freelancers, you can essentially keep the whole company in your head, you know, and you can do a lot of the work yourself. You can actually probably have 30% margins on a, on a business like that, maybe even 40, depending on how much you do yourself, et cetera. And so it's never going to get big, but like, let's say you're making 5 million a year and you're taking home a million a year or a million and a half. That's pretty solid, right? Uh, totally. Maybe even two if you're lucky in good years. That's pretty good. That's a solid living. But Zach and I, and then eventually we hired a CEO, Javon, um, we didn't want to do that. We wanted to scale it, right? And so, man, scaling was the worst. Like scaling a high-touch customer service company with the deals with high-end people, people like you are very successful and have a lot of money, is really hard, dude. It's really hard. Now, the, the good thing was... Bro, I got a a multi-year masterclass in the psychology of of sales. Psychology of sales is easy. The psychology of customer service is extremely understudied. And we really went deep. And I got very good at that because you have to. Like, especially when you're doing books, which are like very identity driven and very emotional. If you don't really nail that with people, they get very upset. And so much of what they're buying is not what they say they're buying, right? Like if you buy concrete, you don't have any emotion around concrete. Like that's just a transactional sale. And even some services are transactional, you know, like massage to some extent. Like there's not a big emotional element. It's like, are they a good masseuse or not? You know, there's some customer service stuff, but for the most part, it's a functional thing. What we're doing is so much about the the deep emotional experience that the author brings in, understanding that. And most of the time, they don't even know a lot of times what that is ahead of time and what that's going to be. And so learning all of that and figuring out a process that works at scale with that was so hard, Justin. And like I understand why no one had really built a big company in this space before because the amount of intelligence and ability and effort you have to put in, we built what ended up being about a 50 to $60 million company. Bro, if I had put that same amount of effort into software, it would have been a $500 million company, right? And so like, it was like, it was one of those things where it was like, man, I, I learned so much and this was amazing. 
but but dude like i'm not getting paid what i like what what my ability and my effort in most sectors of this economy would output if i'd been in finance or software or even engineering or at this point like manufacturing like there's so many and it was a little frustrating man but like it's like one of those things where it's like all right whatever that's my journey like I have a nice ranch here. I, I don't have a G4, but I have a beautiful ranch and great kids. And so like, I'm not that upset by it. And so that that experience was pretty good. And the exit experience with getting out was great. The problem came after, like when the people who bought it from us and, and took over destroyed it. And that sucked. And that was very unfun to see. But like, that just happens with, with companies sometimes, you know, like when it's out of your control, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. And you underestimate, you know, when you're acquiring a business, I think most people underestimate the importance of the people running it, the original founders or some of the key people. And those that don't, they recognize that they want to put some sort of an earnout in place so that you have to stick around for a year or two or four. In your instance, though, you really got to walk away immediately, right? Or pretty close to that? I did. I was sort of. So I kind of half got out in December of 21. And then like for the next year, I helped them run the coaching program because like, like I was still kind of like I would leave the workshops and stuff. December 2022, I basically sold all my equity, although I think we signed January of 23. So I was fully out. Like I owned nothing. I had no role in the company. I did nothing, right? That wasn't technically an earnout, but it kind of operated that way. The problem for me, and this is a whole different discussion, I don't know if you want to get into, was the buyout was over two years, right? And so like, I didn't get all of my money before the company essentially went, not essentially, I think it actually did go bankrupt. It did, the bank put it in receivership and there's someone who bought it now and they're they're trying to turn it around like a whole different entity. And I think they're doing a pretty solid job. We'll see what happens. But like, I'm, I'm not gonna end up getting all of the money that all of the buy price you know like like i'm one of those pro football players who signed like a hundred million dollar deal but then gets cut before it, it like comes out so it's like how much did you actually get because you didn't get the full thing like like my deal wasn't guaranteed you know yeah yeah <laughs> um, so but that happens man do you love the podcast and the book and wonder what the next step should be on your lifestyle investor journey for a limited time, my team is doing free, personalized consultation calls to learn more about your goals and determine which of our courses or masterminds will help you get to the next level. Whether that's to make your first investment or to create your first income stream of passive income, or whether that's to achieve ultimate financial freedom. If you'd like to reserve a spot, Head over to lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash consultation to book a free strategy session while they're still available. Again, that's lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash consultation. When you did have an exit, though, I would assume just based on what I know that you had a pretty good multiple, right? The acquiring company, they were pretty aggressive in, in purchasing this, purchasing right. Yeah, we, we, we had a good valuation. I mean, dude, the, the year that Zach and I left, we did 21 million top line. Wow. You know? And That's so like, yeah, in like, that sort of business was amazing. And so we got a decent buy price. But I mean, that, like I said, it's like an unguaranteed contract in football. You know, if the company doesn't survive and they don't pay, doesn't matter, right? So it's, it's sort of same thing.
So how did they structure it? You don't have to give exact amounts, but percentage wise, did they give you, you know, was this like half now, half later? Was no, this, it was you know, every month you got? Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I got uh, 10 or 15% up front. Okay. And then the rest was in four installments over two years. So it, it was not horrible, but the company had to survive, right? And so the old CEO who, who kind of took over with the new PE guys, they did really kind of a breathtaking job driving it into bankruptcy that quickly. There's probably some embezzlement that went on. There's like, there's a, there's a ton of lawsuits going on right now between that crew and almost, I would bet there's going to be some criminal stuff at least uh, pursued. I don't know if it's going to go anywhere or not. Cause I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know the details that much. It was one of those things, man, where it was like, I had to decide, was I going to make the next two or three or four years of my life trying to get justice out of this or was i just gonna let it go and move on right and that was like a deep decision for me i decided i was just gonna let it go zach my co-founder is spending a little bit more time the people who bought it are suing the ceo or and all this and they're all they're enmeshed they're like going they're going after each other that sounds but i involved. like thankfully i'm not involved in that man i'm not i'm not named in any lawsuits i'm not suing anybody i didn't wrong anyone and the people that wronged me, I felt it was far more worth it for me to forgive them emotionally and let go of that and move on than it was to engage in that fight. You know, there's some fights are definitely worth it, but like, what was I going to get? Two, three million, four million, five million, six million, like at best, you know, it's just like, that's not worth it. It wasn't worth the aggravation for me. Thankfully, I'm in a financial place and I have enough success where I didn't have to do that. I'm in a place where, I mean, it sucks. Like it's like, I'm, it's, it's not a fun thing, but I can, I'm able to make that choice and I'm able to decide, you know what, I'm going to focus on my family and I can make more money later. I'm still a young dude. I've got a ton of opportunity. So I was I was lucky enough to able to to let that go to make that choice. Well, I think that's a, a brilliant way of doing it if you have the ability to do that because it casts this huge mental cloud that's just horrible. If you've been involved in any lawsuits, it is just the worst. So if you can avoid it in any way, shape, or form, and by the way, I've also done the same thing where I've just walked away where people have owed me money, but in some instances, it just makes sense to walk away and save that mental space, not have to drain, you know, that the the mental bank account every day thinking about it because it it's taxing. It is. It is. I've been in lawsuits. I've had I've had fights. I mean, major ones, some for my freedom, not criminal, but more civil stuff. But it was still like it was it felt like a felt like it wasn't, but it felt like a fight for my life. And it was like, those are ones I kind of couldn't avoid. Or it was like, it's like, okay, am I, am I going to stand up for myself here or not? This was one where I, like I, I had the opportunity and I had enough money that I had the ability to choose to let this go. Right. And I felt like, yeah, I'm with you, man. It was, it was not, I'm sure there's a number at which I would not have. Right. It wasn't the number that was on the table. So, well, on the flip side, your exit timing was impeccable. And you got a great multiple. And so you have a lot of things in your favor on that. And it is nice just to kind of wash your hands of something and move on. It is nice to be in a position I can make that choice. I really like that is definitely one of those like it's weird to lose millions of dollars and feel like it was a blessing. 
one that I'm in, a, I, I'm blessed enough that I can, that can happen and I'm still okay. Right. And like to, to be totally. like so appreciative and grateful of that, man, I'm in such a good spot. This is still a body blow, man. It's not like this is not a rounding error in my net worth. This is a part. This is a big part of it, right? But like, that's right. I, I can survive it. And then also, man, I did, I learned so many lessons from this. I think big ones and important ones. I would like to have learned those lessons. Uh, I would like to have paid a lot less to. Learn <laughs> but it wasn't a crippling amount, you know. It's not like you know I had to sell everything I own and we had to move the whatever some crappy apartment in some horrible city. I I mean, like it it was all things considered, man, I came out of a really bad situation. Really good. You know? Yeah, I agree. I I think you handled it it well and you handled it with class and you're even open to talk about it. You're an open book, so to say about everything. And I love that about you. I'm curious though, you now have probably more cash that you're sitting on or that you have at your disposal than you've ever had in your life. We're in a weird economic time. The past few years have been nutty. The coming you know, few years, who knows what's going to happen. So uh, I'm curious your thoughts on like what you're doing. And we've talked about this a little bit, but I mean, this is a fun conversation. Like, what do you invest in now? When- yeah, so I have a very different... I have a very different perspective on this than most people, right? And so I'm I'm not going to try and convince you this is the right perspective. I'm just going to tell you what I'm doing. Okay, and that's it, right? Like and if I had like way more money, I wouldn't make fundamentally different decisions. I make a lot a lot of other decisions, right? But like almost all of my focus right now and for the immediate future, meaning at least the next 2 years is um I invest in hard, productive assets only. So let me be like super clear what that means. So like land, right? And and like very specifically, I don't mean like in a real estate sense, like I'm going to buy some raw land and develop it. Or I mean, that's cool. That That's a great business. It's not a business I know or I've ever been involved in. When I say a productive land, I mean this 45 acres that I live on right now we have our own water supply we have two we have owned water meaning like we have a well and then we also have a rain a massive rainwater collection system that would last us a year and a half if it didn't rain it hasn't rained for two and a half months or whatever but like we're, we're testing our system and it's doing great so like i have my own water we have our own food. Uh, we have enough sheep and chickens now. We're essentially self-replicating. Uh, we have cows. We don't have a bull. We don't have a cow-calf operation. But like we we have essentially all the food we could ever eat. Uh, we're not that great at growing stuff yet, but good enough, right? So we're we're water independent. We're food independent. We're basically energy independent. I and mean, we are on the grid, of course. There's no such thing as off-grid. People who think they're off-grid, I'm like, bro, what do you do when you have three power couplers break? And they're like, what? I'm like, right, you're on China's grid. Like, you're on a grid, you just don't realize it. You're on a different, you're on a manufacturing grid. So we're on, uh, you know, Petronalis Co-op, which is a pretty solid. Uh, and then we have, uh, pro, you know, generators, buried propane tanks that we have months of that. And then we have a good backup solar system that can run all the essentials essentially indefinitely, right? Like regardless of what happens in terms of supply chain breakdowns, in terms of societal upheaval or whatever, we're really, really well put together here and not just like, oh, I've got a bunch of dry food. Like, no, no, no. Dry food's fantastic, but that runs out. Like she, as long as like we have, our sheep aren't going to run out. You know, like literally as long as the grass keeps growing, 
then we're good for meat, right? And then also all the accoutrements that you need to run a really effective homestead. There's a lot of implements, both you know power tools, which are uh, super nice, but then also the non-power backups, right? Like it's really great to have a skid steer, but then also you need a shovel, right? Yep. In case the skid steer doesn't, isn't working or whatever, you have fuel issues. So when I say productive hard assets, I mean, first, survival productive hard assets. Now, on top of that, like the, the next layer of investments for me, and I have not gone deep into this yet. I have not started a lot, but I'm looking at what are the businesses that I think are going to be easy to set up and do really well in a very chaotic world. And I, I like food production is going to become extremely local for at least a, people who have money and ability are going are already doing it but um i think it's going to accelerate rapidly right like like almost all things is going to bifurcate right like the the soy jacks who live in the pods and eat the bugs are going to be as centralized with it like they're just going to be eating factory goo right those of us who figure it out like you did and the l rods and everyone else are going to buy some land and raise some of their own food and then get as much as they can from their neighbors, right? Or from people within like that they know. And so thinking about like butchers, meat processors, things like that, those businesses are either pretty easy to buy right now or pretty easy to start. And they, most of the people running them are either old or decades behind, in terms of just basic modern business processes, which in certain ways is good, right? But in other ways, there's a lot of improvements that could be made without becoming too stupidly spreadsheet brained, right? Like I've been looking at those very, very closely and trying to figure out where do I need to learn and where can I bring expertise into those areas? That is actually where almost all of my money is because I think we're reaching a point where, it, I mean, it, it might take five years, six years, but... um I'm concerned there's going to be at least a few incidents, and they may not be long term, but where like if you can't get it within 10 or 20 miles, you're not getting it, right? And so like what does a world look like that maybe isn't like that forever? But um, you know, what happens when the international supply – we've already seen it. Like we've already seen it not yeah. really break. Round one. We, we've seen it. We've seen major – and I don't think it's going to get better, man. I, like the world's not going to collapse. We're not going to have anarchy and, you know, like uh, uh, walking dead, nothing like that. But like, I, I think so much of what we take for granted in the modern world, a lot of it is going to fundamentally change. And a lot of the high energy inputs are going to have to be sourced locally. And I, uh, and so almost all of the way I'm thinking and the money I'm saving is going to be spent and invested in how do you capitalize on that, right? And first of all, how do you make it possible? Because it's not even about, look, bro, there's no world where, I don't think there's any world where building a meat processor is going to be the highest financial return I can get. <laughs> like, I don't, maybe, it's possible. But for someone like me or you, who's like very smart and, and able to access almost any capital market and any investment, like building a meat processor is never going to be the, the highest profit thing, but it, it's definitely financial profit, but I think I'm starting to look around at what are the other measures of return that I want to put in my calculations, but beside just CAPEX or whatever, you know? Well, well you buy it right, 
and you're likely not going to lose money. You should be able to cash flow something and you get the utility out of it because you're going to use it anyway. And if you're going to use it, then for sure there are other people in the community that are going to use it. So it makes tons of sense. And this gets back to, you know, I've been talking about this forever, but just mom and pop businesses, mom and pop real estate, mom and pop, you know, who are the baby boomers? What are they selling that has value that they don't even recognize has value that they're just going to shut down because their kids don't want it? So it's literally just going to go goodbye unless someone comes in to buy it. And there are tons of these small businesses out there, tons of them. Most people are looking for those, I totally agree with you, but they're looking for those opportunities in cities. And there's plenty in cities, like nothing against that. I just, in my opinion, most cities, and I mean major cities, right? Most cities are already becoming very dangerous. I think they're going to get way more dangerous. Like 1970s day, most people aren't old enough to, I'm barely old enough to remember how dangerous like New York City was in the 70s, right? Like, like the old people remember, the boomers remember. I, I think most uh, major cities are going to get like that. Not all, but most. And to me, the opportunities, uh, huge opportunities are are rural, you know, and not maybe not like, you know, uh, I don't mean like getting off the grid and living off the land. I mean, like finding a town like Dripping is, you know, 5,000 people or finding towns of the, the th although Dripping is a little bit in the orbit of Austin. So it's not like. You know, you go to Fredericksburg, it's 15, 20,000 people and like it's its own town, right? And there's a ton of opportunity there to bring like a lot of more sophisticated business practices, right? But again, the problem is not like when people hear that, a lot of times they think like private equity, like, oh, we can we can optimize here and hit no, 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 stop. <laughs> stop spreadsheet branding, right? How do you do that's when I say like like not like if I were to build a meat processor, right? I understand why Smithfield became evil. Why the meat processing business? Do you know the story? Like how there's only four major meat processors, right? Dude, the story's crazy, man. There's only four major meat processors right now. Let me, I'll, I'll take, this is a really example of how evil that business. I mean, you've seen all the videos, the industrial farming system and the industrial meat system and how horrible it is and how like, that if all meat came from the industrial meat system, I would probably be vegan. Like I understand why someone would watch one of those videos and be vegan. That's not the only option for meat. Like you can come out to my ranch and you can meet your sheep and you can actually dispatch it. You can kill it. You can skin it. You can treat it with all the reverence in the world. Like that's a fundamentally different way to, to deal with, with meat. But like long, long story short, Smithfield built this huge pork production facility. Like, I mean, like a, like a multi-story factory, hundreds of thousands of square feet. And the price like of pork in North Carolina went from something like uh, 60 cents a pound to two cents a pound. They drove all the independent pork producers out of business and then essentially set up a fiefdom for, for, for pork producers. Like if you were going to raise pork to sit, like it was a, dude, it's so horrible. And so of course they have to feed them literal garbage. And it makes sense because if you're looking at meat, it makes sense from a spreadsheet brain. If you're looking at it as dollars only, everything Smithfield does makes sense.
But that's not the only way to evaluate business, right? And and there there are other things that matter. Money matters, but so does health. So does, you know, health and nutrition. So does um, uh, the aesthetics. So does the humanity of it. So does your connection to it, all that sort of stuff, especially with food. Like the touchy-feely stuff with food is often very, very backed up by science, right? And so like, like, like the lambs that come off of my ranch are you can you can do the tests on the meat and see how much healthier, how many more minerals, how much more nutrition you get out of those lamps. Like and so like running those old businesses very efficiently in a modern way, but instead of spreadsheet braining them, thinking like a human. You know, like how do we run a meat processor that is very efficient, but at the same time understands like why grass-fed is important, why you know, high mineral count is important, why killing the animals in a humane, stress-free way is important, all like why, you know, knowing the farmer is important, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you got to be able to tell that story to consumers and they got to be able to pay for that, right? Like if you want, if I want a, a, a pork that was treated humanely and then lived a great life, I don't get to pay Smithfield prices. <laughs> like That's just not how it works. If I want pork for a dollar a pound, I got to buy from Smithfield. If I want it for $4 a pound, I could buy from Acorn Farms in Iowa that, that, that like basically treat their pigs like kings, but I got to pay $5 a pound. That's right. And, and they got to tell the story, right? And so w- that when I say, what have I been investing in? Those are the business I've been looking at and the world I've been looking at and thinking, how do I bring all of the sophistication to that world without it, but we keep all of the heart and the meaning and the importance of it. Does that make sense? Totally, totally. And and when you think also about other businesses that could be good, and we could talk about like a canning facility, or we could talk about, you know, ammo facility, or, you know, like there's tons of these different businesses that could make a lot of sense. But one that I think is near and dear to you is your wife, Veronica's business in healthcare, right? So let's talk ultra personal healthcare for a second, because this is going to become more and more prevalent, this way of doing it. But even just kind of the the pivot that's happening, uh, we saw it in, in COVID where telemedicine started becoming more of a thing and and health in general started becoming more commoditized and more like a monthly subscription, kind of like SaaS type of or, or MMR type of platform. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. My wife's a nurse practitioner. And so it's funny because like she like, you know, graduated from Stanford with like a 397 in biochemistry, right? So like she easily could have gone to med school, but she wanted a family. And like, if you want to be a doctor as a woman, not as a dude, it's a little different, but as a woman, if you want to be a doctor and have a bunch of kids, it's it's not impossible. It is really hard, right? Because you're like not finishing med school and residency until you're in your 30s, right? And then it's like, you know, you can't really have kids as a re- – you can, but having kids as a resident, you're not going to be a good mom. And So she's like, okay, how can I basically be a doctor but – not have to go through all that school and residency and all horrible stuff. She's like, oh, nurse practitioner. A nurse practitioner is essentially like a high-level nurse. They can write prescriptions. They can do basically everything a doctor can do. And so she decided to do that. And so she was, you know, out practicing by 24. 
25 or something, 26, instead of 35 or 36. And then she realized, like most people who deal with the medical system, how screwed up it was and how how anti-human it is and how horrible insurance is and all the incentives are screwed up. And like, like it's funny, when we had our first kid, when she was pregnant, she was like, she was like, want to do home births. And that was before I knew anything about this stuff. And I'm like, that sounds, those are weirdos. Like those are weird hippies who live in the woods. Why would you do a home birth? And she goes, I've worked in hospitals. I will not go into a hospital unless my option is go there or die. <laughs> and she's like, we're going to explore home birth because we've been doing, people have been doing home births for thousands of years and they're really great. Turns out they're amazing. All four of our kids were home births. Uh, midwives are like saints on earth, I think now, now that I've been there and experienced it. But like, anyway, so so she's like, how can I, kind of like what I was talking about with, you know, with, with um, brick and mortar, you know, physical productive asset businesses. And she's like, how can I make healthcare something that's, that's amazing, that actually is care? And she came upon primary care, like subscription primary care, where like you pay a monthly fee and then that way you don't have to pay for appointments. Like you're just paying whatever, hundred something dollars a month and you can text your provider you can call them, you can Zoom them, you can go in anytime you want with any question, everything's covered, right? So like that way, it's in like, you know, you take hour long appointments with your patients, you have one provider and they like know your history every time you come in. So you don't have to like talk to a new person, have these weird conversations. They help you like on long-term goals. And it's not just about sick care. It's like, cause she wanted, like, I don't want to just treat people who are sick and they have a lifestyle that makes them continually sick and they don't change that. I want to help people become healthy. And becoming healthy is about how you eat, how you sleep, how much time you spend outside, how much exercise you have, your mental health, your relationships. It's that whole th package. And so like she started her direct primary care and like now she's got, you know, hundreds or uh, hundreds, maybe thousands of patients, whatever it is. And it's like, they all love her. And she, because and every day she gets up and she gets to like treat people the way she wants to treat them and the way they want to be treated the way she would want to be treated as a patient, right? Which is like human to human connection, human to human interaction. She actually cares about them. She, she can show them that she can spend time with each of them, help them work through all their problems and then help them prevent getting like sick, you know, instead of like, oh, when you get sick, come in, I'll give you a pill. It's like, how do we stop you from getting sick? And then how do we help you feel the best possible way? Right. I mean, it's like, it seems so obvious when you say it, does. When you say it, it totally right? does. but like, it's one of those things that like most people, you, you know, you're brought up in the, the doctor centered insurance centered universe which is so screwed up and so anti-human. I understand why the healthcare system is so screwed up because like if it's insurance-based, they only get paid for what they can code. And prevention, there's no code for prevention. Right. There's only code for treat treating an That's illness. Right. It's horrible. Like it's a horrible system. It's backwards. Yes. Uh, the incentives are totally misaligned. And we just had this crazy experience with, uh, with my wife's dad where he was not even treated i mean just you had said inhumane i mean it, it goes so many levels beyond just inhumane it was mind-boggling to us and we had never seen that side of it before so i'm excited about what veronica's doing we're 
were clients were uh and by the way she was a, a game changer for me because i got this crazy ear infection on my way home from portugal so this flight i'm you know in altitude my ear feels like it's about to like blow up i land i reach out to her and uh she gets everything you know resolved real quick because i got another trip coming up on lake powell living on like a houseboat yacht thing on lake powell so i'm going to be in water again so she totally solved my issue really fast and no but uh, think about that for a second dude this is how healthcare should work you have a problem you reach out directly text phone whatever you get an answer right away they send in the script if, if it you know like whatever the, i'm sure you got some medicine or something so send in the script right you get it like that day or the next day. Whereas like if you had most doctors, like you'd be super lucky to get an appointment within a week. It'd probably take two or three weeks. Then you go in, they would do the same thing she can do over Zoom or whatever, text or whatever, and like be obnoxious about it. Probably you'll get 15, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. If it's a bigger problem, they're like, well, we got to do this. And if it doesn't work, you got to schedule another appointment. It's a horrible system. <laughs> It Horrible. totally is. Right. It's it's built for insurance. It's not built for the patients. And well, that's what happens when insurance is paying and the patient isn't. So that's the big difference is because you are paying Veronica directly, she has to make sure she does a really good job serving you, not serving Humana. That's right. Like, that's right. And this is just so basic. I uh, love it. Well, it's a brilliant model and uh, I'm so glad she's doing it. So glad that you've got the, the time and space to be able to give her the ability to do this and what a fun time what a, what a great conversation uh that we got a chance to share here i just thank you for really just saying things as they are i appreciate that about you my pleasure man my pleasure and i'm i'm gonna have quite a few lamb to sell if you're looking to buy <laughs> we've got like 30 pregnant ewes so in the fall if you want some lamb man i love uh, it I, and if you if you want to bring your wife and daughter out you got you don't have to but like literally, you can come out here, you guys can kill it, or I'll kill it in front of you. You guys can help skin it, like process it. We can do it like, or you can just pay for it either way, right? I, like, I, I think the whole process is amazing. I, I think that'd be a very educational way of doing it. So that's awesome. And I've seen the videos with you and your kids and I, hey, I just think it's amazing. This total life transition that you've been able to do and, and do so successfully and, and with such great joy. And then you share it with your community. It's awesome. Yeah, it's not, it's not bad. I like it. Well, cool. Well, if anyone wants to learn more about you, where should they go? Uh, just go to the website, tuckermax.com or I'm on all like social, like my social media is just pictures of my kids or pictures of the homestead. That's it. Like, it's not, it's not that interesting. And unless you're like in your, if you're on homestead Instagram, then I like, it's interesting. Otherwise that's all it is. I love it. Well, I'm going to wrap up today the way I wrap up every episode. And that's with a question for our audience. What is one step you can take today towards financial freedom and living the life that you desire on your terms, not by default, but by design? And Tucker's doing a great job of that. He's living life on his terms. He's created a plan. He's been able to execute that plan. So what can you take from this episode to move towards that in your life? Thanks. And we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review over on iTunes. Not only do I read every single one, but it also helps me understand what content matters the most to our audience. 
And if you can think of one or two people who would benefit from this episode, would you mind sharing it with them right now? Who knows? Maybe they'll buy you something nice when they make their first million. If you would like access to today's show notes, including links to all resources mentioned, visit www.lifestyleinvestor.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next week for another episode of The Lifestyle Investor. This podcast is being made available exclusively to financially sophisticated, high net worth individuals capable of evaluating the merits and risks of investments. The material presented in this podcast is not intended to be investment advice or to recommend the purchase or sale of any security, nor is it intended to be legal, accounting, or tax advice. You should consult with your legal, tax, or financial advisor in connection with any material discussed on this podcast. Past performance is not indicative nor a guarantee of future results. Certain materials discussed on this podcast may have been prepared by third parties, which have been obtained from sources that we believe to be accurate and current. However, we make no representation or warranty as to the accuracy, completeness, or currency of such materials.